The United States is entering a new economic era. I think we are in a different environment than what we've experienced over the past 15 years. It began with decisions by the Federal Reserve. We've raised the federal funds rate by 500 basis points since a little more than a year ago. We also think that there's more tightening power coming through. The speed of this hiking cycle is distorting Wall Street and reshaping personal finance in America. Why did the rate increases come so fast? They came fast because, in a sense, the Fed got behind the ball. There are a number of risks that emerge when interest rates rise quickly. And so, you know, if you are a person who borrowed money to buy equity, for example, or even to buy a house, if you were not careful, you could find the value of your assets going down. Reversing zero interest rates carries a pain with it that may not make the initial zero interest rates have been worth it. Like you take a drink and it feels really good right now, but the hangover tomorrow may mean that the drink you had the night before wasn't worth it. Barring a catastrophe, I don't think we'll see zero interest rates anytime soon. So how is the U.S. economy adapting to higher interest rates? And have we seen the full effect of the past decade's free money policies at the Federal Reserve? Decisions made by the Federal Reserve can influence the cost of living in America. The Fed does that by changing interest rates. That can affect inflation, your job prospects, and a whole lot more. The Federal Reserve, obviously being our nation's central bank, has a primary tool to sort of shift gears on the economy as needed, and that primary tool is its benchmark interest rate. The Federal Reserve is like a group of mechanics, and the economy is their machine. They can control the speed at which the machine operates with a lever. In this analogy, the lever represents interest rates. All gears in the machine are influenced by the lever. Every so often, the mechanics at the Fed pull the lever to make the machine spin slower or faster. Lower interest rates and the economy speeds up. Raise interest rates and the economy slows down. Interest rates today stand above 5% as the Fed tries to slow the economy down and fight inflation. The last couple of inflation readings not only came in better, but came in better than expected. And so that suggests that the inflation fighting medicine that the Fed has introduced to the economy is having the intended effect. And that's good for everybody, because as Chairman Powell has said, the economy really doesn't work for everybody or anybody if inflation is raging as it has. For an entire generation, the United States experienced very little inflation. That gave central bankers the ability to drop interest rates to record lows. Doing that made jobs more abundant, a benefit for lower-income workers. Running the economy a little hotter might benefit groups that, you know, on the margin have a harder time trading up on their jobs. We've seen gains from that. And so some of these long-running differences we see across different demographic groups in our economy, like black, white wage differentials, have declined as the economy has been running hot for these last several years. So when interest rates are low, you might have an easier time getting a raise. At the same time, low interest rates may make wealth inequality worse. When interest rates are low, the economy, if it's you know not in crisis, is zooming along, fueled by low interest rates. More and more people come into the workforce, more jobs might be created. And there's an increasing possibility that wage and income inequality go down during periods of a hot economy. Wealth inequality, when interest rates are low, tends to go up. That is because when interest rates are low, other assets go up in value. And so what we've seen often is wealth inequality has increased when interest rates are low. In the United States, central bankers have kept interest rates near zero 
for the better part of 15 years. In that time, a significant debate has rippled across the field of economics. Is this so-called zero interest rate policy good, bad, or the best available option? Having interest rates at zero for such a long period of time is very unusual. Frankly, no one thought we'd ever get to that place. It's called the zero lower bound. In the past, major central banks, including the Fed, took interest rates to the effective lower bound to fight deflation. Deflation is essentially defined as a phenomenon whereby prices decline. That tends to delay economic activity and leads to a slump in economic activity. And that's why we essentially had this environment where the Fed was stimulating the economy. When money is cheap or free, those that borrow money and then reinvest it tend to do better because their cost of borrowing is very low. And so private equity firms, leveraged buyout firms, many real estate investment trusts, investment ideas that are built around leverage, built around borrowing, have a harder time when interest rates go up than they do when interest rates are low. Suddenly, the amount that they have to pay back could go up. The economy grew steadily through the 2010s as more cash went into risky investments. Startups disrupted the transportation, housing, and tech industries. But some companies can't handle today's higher interest rates. In the first half of 2023, there have been 41 corporate defaults in the U.S., the most of any region globally. First of all, it's not going to be quite as easy for everybody with a stupid idea to get financing harder for startups, it's harder to buy a home. So all of those things create a higher hurdle rate. And the question becomes not whether interest rates are, are zero versus not being zero. The question is, are they high or too high relative to the prevailing demand for money out there? Banks and investors listen closely to the mechanics of the Fed. Adjustments to interest rates can change prospects for whole industries, like tech or real estate, which in turn affects Wall Street and the banks. When interest rate is low, mortgage rate tends to be low. People will have more borrowing power and they can borrow to buy houses. The same principle applies to commercial real estate. Many bets made in the low interest rate era are no longer panning out. Mortgage is actually one of the largest asset categories on banks' balance sheet. When interest rate increases, the market value of those long-term assets will decline, even if there is no default risk. That is when the problem comes in. You go to zero and you encourage everybody to pile in, take on debt, and it's probably fine this year, but next year there's going to be a cascade of refinancings that could really hurt the economy. And maybe there are buildings that should not have been built, purchases that should not have been made because interest rates were so low at the time. We document a huge amount of unrealized losses in the banking sector. And on top of those losses, we realize that if there is going to be a commercial real estate default, then the whole banking sector is going to have trouble. But on the right-hand side of balance sheet, you know, we know that banks finance all of those long-term investments using short-term deposits. U.S. banks hold deposits from customers to balance out their loans. But accounts at banks are only insured up to $250,000. Anything over this limit could be lost in the event of a bank failure. Erica Zhang and her team believed that more U.S. banks could collapse in the new economic era. SVB was actually not very special compared to other banks in the United States. We showed that, that there are about 10% of banks that experienced more 
SFL decline than SVB. What made SVB special is the uninsured deposits. And actually, this uninsured deposit ratio has been climbing in the past few years. And some people attribute that to low interest rate. The Fed's interest rate can change how much risk Wall Street's willing to take on. Banks like to hold some portion of their assets in a kind of more riskless bucket. And we typically think of the government bond portion as being a relatively lower risk. But bonds are designed to be held to maturity. If a bank needs to sell their longer-term bonds to meet their reserve requirements, they could end up being money losers. U.S. banks have over $2.2 trillion in unrealized losses that stem from the sudden interest rate hikes. If any kind of stress comes along and you're a bank and you have to offload those bonds, that's where the problems come. This sector, particularly the smaller banks, regional banks, it's going to be under uh, earnings duress, earnings pressure for the foreseeable future. Rates are high and potentially rising higher. That basically hurts their underwater bonds on their balance sheet and at the same time leads to deposit flight. For everyday people in this new era, it can pay more to save especially when you park your money in the right places. Our purchasing power is eroding. And so we want to think about savings vehicles that protect us from that. And, you know, standard bank accounts do a poor job of that. And they're only going to be forced to pay a higher interest rate if there's competition coming from other parts of the financial system. We are at a time when it's not that hard to find an interest-bearing account that pays 3, 4, 5%, and that's something we hadn't seen in many, many years. And that's creating some wealth effects that we really haven't seen for quite some time. The Federal Reserve's role in society tends to expand in times of crisis. The first one was the financial crisis of the late 2007-2008, that era. The FOMC reduced the target federal funds rate from five and a quarter percent in the summer of 2007 to a range of zero to one-fourth percent by the end of 2008. The federal funds rate has been at its effective lower bound ever since. And so it was trying to prevent a really bad outcome like the Great Depression. You know, when we go back to the Great Depression, what did we see? We saw 9,000 banks failing. Ben Bernanke, he was a student of the Great Depression. He didn't want to repeat that. The effects of these historic decisions and those made today will stay with us for some time. We are currently experiencing a central banker's vibe of higher for longer. You're to some extent limiting non-productive investments that would not necessarily generate revenue in this high interest rate environment. It's very different in a low interest rate environment where money is free and essentially any type of investment is really worth it because the cost of capital is close to zero. This new environment is going to spur more business dynamism, more of an entrepreneurial spirit, and also more of that judicious thought process as to whether any type of investment is really and truly worth it. Economists believe that those investments could become jobs, but that's no guarantee in an age of automation. It's an interesting question to me, for example, to look at higher interest rates and the effect on artificial intelligence. I talked to a lot of investors about this, and I said, what does 5% mean? And they're like, 5% interest rates by the Fed means nothing to me when I'm looking to make 100, 200, 300, 400% on my money. That 5% is irrelevant to them. However, if a guy is saying, where am I putting my money today versus next year, then that 5% is very meaningful. Higher interest rates will impact jobs too. Growth in the U.S. labor market is projected to jump by 8.3 million jobs in the decade ending in 2031. That would mark a slower decade of job market gains than Americans had in the 2010s. 
the Fed wants to see the economy slowing somewhat, but the risk of recession also starts to go up, and there's quite a bit of debate during this interest rate hike cycle whether or not at the end of it there will be what's called a soft landing. So that's one of the big topics about this current rising interest rate environment: is where does it end? Does it end with a soft landing, or does it end with a hopeless short and shallow recession? And no one knows just yet.